I want to implore you again, as I always do, please don't look at the servant. Hear the message. Because the message is from God. My message today, as you will see, as you've seen, is am I a Christian? But there isn't a question mark. I specifically chose it like that, and I say thank you to Travis for all the work that he does behind the scenes for us. And there's so many that serve in the church that we don't even see. But I want to say thank you to all of them and just to remind them that their reward is in heaven. They're building up treasures in heaven. As I said, that uh, there's no question mark on my title of my message, and I specifically did that because my sermon is going to be full of questions. But they are all rhetorical questions, questions that are personal to you that only you can answer. And when you hear the question, I want you to think of your personal you know, own situation. What is your relationship with God? How did you get here? What it is? And so often that uh, as leadership, as you should all know, is that we gather and we have to make decisions on issues of the church and where the church is going. And we jokingly, we jokingly have a, a, a joke going around that whenever we tackle the issue, it's a, the, the what, the who, the when, the how. And uh, you know, we need to answer those questions. And uh, I see all of the, the elders are smiling because they know that uh, this is... But it, it's a, it's a problem-solving problem method that you use that focuses you on the specific issues of what needs to be done, who's going to do it, by when is it going to happen. So in other words, we can gather and we can mull around an issue for an hour long and still get nowhere because we're not answering the specific questions. So we specifically ask these questions when we are tackling an issue so that we can boil down to the, the, the crux of the matter and solve and get questions and answers to those, to those matters. So let us pray. Dear God, we give you the glory and the honor for all that you are doing in our lives every day. Even in the times we can't see it or understand your ways. Shine your light in us, through us and over us. We are so incredibly in need of your power and your strength. We ask that you fill us with your spirit of love and unity. Please help us to truly live out a life of love. We know that this is only possible through the power of your spirit. We need your unity and your love to stir our hearts and give direction to our days. We need your wisdom to guide us as we need your spirit to lead us to live out godly lives that would bring honor to you first. We thank you that you are always with us. May we make a difference in this world for your glory and your purpose. And We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Beloved, this life is marked by a single choice. Who or what will you send to your life around? The choice takes us each down a path of decisions that we shape, who we are, what we feel, who and what we value, and what we will have accomplished at the end of our days. To center our lives around ourselves or the things of this world, only going to lead to destruction. 
but to center our lives around meeting with God fills each moment with the glorious abundance of God's love, provision, and transcendent peace. Please understand that my message today is not one of condemnation. But it is to encourage us to find out what is in our hearts, to stimulate some thought as to the relationship with the Father and where you are concerning this relationship. That is why you have the question of the title of my message. See, it's easy to look at the huge variety of people who call themselves Christians and be confused about exactly what a Christian is. Sometimes people use Christian just as a mean, just to mean a moral person or as a word to describe someone who, gets, who goes to church. Some people think Christian refers to a political view. And if you follow the message of the day, a previous consensus, a census of the population of South Africa maintained that 80% of the population are Christians. And my question would then be is, why are we in the mess that we are in? If 80% of our population claims to be Christians. You see, when there's, a, when there's a census and the question comes up, are you Christian? It's easy to say yes. But what is in our hearts? And this is the direction I want to go this morning. I want to find out what is in, heart, in, in your heart. And once again, I say it's not for me to get the answer not for your neighbor to get the answer, or your wife, your spouse, your friends to get the answer. It is for you to get that answer. See, the first time anyone was called a Christian is recorded in the Bible in Acts 11.26, in the New Living Translation. It was at Antioch that the believers were first called Christians. The people who believed that Jesus was God also chose to live like Him. A fine definition of what a Christian is. As a, as a result, a group of people in Antioch teasingly applied Jesus' title of Christ as the label for his followers. The word Christian is less important than the spiritual reality it illustrates. And this is very important for us to say. It's easy for us to say that I am a Christian. I don't want to hear you say it. I want to see it in your life. And only then does it have meaning for me as an unbeliever, we are here to witness to a dark world out there. And so often, it's how we react and respond in situations that make people think. For us just to say that, yes, I'm a Christian, doesn't suffice. People need to see in our lives how we live our lives, and through the results of what they see, they should come to us and say, but I want what you have. And that is what is important, beloved. So how is it that we, how did we become Christians? And straight away you will hear the hows and the whats and the coming through. First, we have to hear. And before I continue, I just want to say that, yes, I know I'm preaching to the converted, 
But this message is also special for you. Because it reminds you of where you were. But it will also remind you of what you need to do when you are witnessing to somebody. Because you'll hear now that if they don't hear, and if nobody tells them, then they don't know. And it's our responsibility. So let it be a reminder. But I wanted to stir your heart this morning. Romans 10, 13 to 17 says, For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. A direct quote out of Joel 2, 32. Referencing the Old Testament to the New Testament. The two are joined. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So, then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Beloved, it's not just the pastor that stands here and he's a preacher. Each and every one of us are preachers. And we need to imprint that in our hearts. We are all preachers. Because we, are, we have been given a commission to go out into the world and to spread this good news. And just as a reference, I want to say that after every message that I put, uh, every verse that I put on the on the screen, I have some related verses for those who are taking notes that you want to go and study a little bit further because the word is so rich that uh, in, in trying to set up this message, those that preach will know that um, you, you start off thinking of a verse that I need to add to this, this piece of message that I want to give and then you start going through the Bible and, it's, and there's so many of them. You, eventually you don't know which one to choose. So I will just give you those references as after every verse. And for this one, John 6.45 and Revelations 1.3. Continuing. Faith is simply a response to God's promises and faithfulness. That is all that we can have and put our faith in is God's promises. Nothing else. As we've seen that if you, if, if, if you value the things of the world, if you value your own opinion, it only leads to destruction. So where do we put our faith? Our faith is in the response to God's promises and faithfulness. We can have faith because of our God has proven himself wholly faithful. When he says in Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. He's making our foundational promise to you. God is there waiting for us. God is there waiting for a, a dying world just to approach Him. And know that from this, we're taking that God is standing at our door. We are not going to somebody else's door. God is standing at our door of our hearts and He's knocking. He's pursuing us. Proverbs 4, verse 20 and 22 says, My son... Be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart. 
for they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. The desire of God for you and for me is to be children filled with his life-giving words. God longs for us to experience the joy, the purpose, and the peace of faith founded in his word. He longs for us to live our lives with scripture as a constant source of hope when the world seems to be crashing down around us. Beloved, where do we find our strength? In God's word. On God's promises. And God promises that he will never leave us nor forsake us. Isn't that awesome? That we can have that confidence that no matter what happens around us, no matter what is happening in our lives, God is with us. Holding us in the palm of his hand, the word teaches us. Now we've heard the word. What then needs to happen is we need to believe that word. Acts 16.31 says, So they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and your household. This is Paul speaking to the Philippian jailer after the earthquake happened and their chains fell off and the gates of the prison doors opened and the jailer woke up from his sleep. Isn't that quite typical? And he woke up from his sleep and he saw all the gates being opened and he was under the impression that everybody had fled as he would because he doesn't know what's going on. Trembling, he draws his sword to kill himself because he knows that this is going to be his fate anyway. And Paul calls out to him and says, no, wait, stop, we are all here. And the jailer falls down trembling and he asks this question, what must I do to be saved? And Paul answers and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You and your household. Isn't that awesome? Related verses, Hebrews 11.6, Romans 3.23. Christians recognize their rebellion separates them from God. This is what the Bible calls sin. This is why we have to hear and we have to believe what we hear. The forgiveness of sin. Now we've heard, now we believe, and now we have to repent. Brings us to a point where we know that we have to change. We cannot carry on the way we are. Acts 2 verse 38. Then Peter said to them, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Peter's first sermon after receiving the Holy Spirit himself. Where 3,000 souls were saved in one day. Where the church began. People hearing this word, believing what Peter told them, and then Peter telling them that they need to repent. We hear, we believe, we repent, but we need to confess also. We need to confess what we believe and what we have repented from. Romans 10, 9 and 10, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Related verse, Matthew 10, 32 to 33. See, God's 
Uh, I mean, Christians know that God loves them. This is what we believe. This is what we repented from, is that we believe in a God that loves us. Many people think that they must behave in a certain way to become a Christian, as I've mentioned. It's not your behavior. The Bible explains that becoming a Christian is not about behavior, but about responding to Jesus' offer of forgiveness. And this might sound contradictory, but we'll hear later that we need to change our lives. Repentance is changing our minds, changing the way that we live. And then we're confessing it. And once we confess it, then a lot more people know about it. And that strengthens us to continue in this right living. So we confess it. And then we need to be baptized. Acts twenty two sixteen. And now why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Ananias telling Saul, later becoming Paul, after he was blind for three days. You need to be baptized. Paul encountered Jesus on the way to Damascus. Was blinded. Scales on his, in his eyes. And God sending Ananias to go and tell Paul what needs to be done next. And if we follow the story, the scales fell off his, his eyes and he could see again. The same person who was on his way to Damascus to persecute the Christians now finds himself a Christian. Related verses 1 Peter 3.21 Acts 2.38 Mark 16.15 and 16. What needs to happen after all of this has happened? We need to live godly lives. Romans 12.1 and 2 I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not conform to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The renewing of the mind. We need to think differently. Our perspective needs to change. As we've just been through the conference, those of you that attended the conference, a related verse is 2 Peter 1, 5 to 11, the virtuous living passage, Titus 2, 11 and 14. You see, Christians have responded to God's offer of forgiveness by making a choice to stop living for themselves and allow God to make them who He wants them to be. We are changed because of what God has done in our lives. And I love the way that in the New Living Translation says it in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. God saved you by His grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. Nothing you can do can save you, beloved. It is only the Holy Spirit that convicts us. The blood of Jesus Christ on the cross, cross that He shed for us, that paid a price that we could not pay. 
because of our sinful nature. He was pure. The sacrificial lamb sacrificed for you and for me. And that is the greatest story that we can tell. Don't look at me. Don't look at my life. Let me present Jesus Christ to you. He's the one that saves you. He's the one that hung on a cross, paid the price to cover all of our sins, including mine, everybody. People behave differently after becoming a Christian because their relationship with God has changed them. People do good things for many reasons, but a Christian is motivated to do good things because they love God. So these are the steps that we follow in becoming a Christian. The how. And as we have learned from the recent conference, that it's just a process. I mean, it is a process. It's not complete when we give our lives to God by confessing our sins. That is just the beginning. It's not just once off and now I can sit back and relax and everything's taken care of. No, beloved. That is just the first step. This is the process of justification. When we put our faith in God, Christ has saved us from the penalty of sin by dying on the cross, shedding his blood, paying a price we could not pay due to our sinful nature. Titus 3.5 says, Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us, through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. Related verses, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, and Romans 5, 1 and 2. So that was the justification. Just as if I have never sinned because of what Jesus did for me. But as I said, that is the first step. Then we start living our godly lives. It's called sanctification. Our love for God is because we love God that we change the way we do things. We change our perspective. We change the renewing of our mind all of the time. We read his word. We have communion with him. We, 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 we have communication with him in our prayer life. We worship him in song, finances, in time, all of those things. That's all worship. It's not just when we stand here and sing the three, four songs that we are worshiping God. No. You worship God with your life. And that life encompasses everything of who we are and what we are and how we do things. So it's your finances. It's your, your prayer life. Your quiet time. Your communication with God. Constant prayer. Your relationship with God forms the basis of what you do during sanctification. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. You are a new creation. Stop thinking about yourself of how you were. The world will continuously remind you of how you were. But that opens a door for you to tell them how you are now. How you are continuing to be now. 
because of what God has done in your life. Related verses 2 Peter 3.17 and Philippians 1.6 and 2, 12 and 13. On a personal note, sanctification and holiness are words that used to strike terror into my heart. And still sometimes does. As a believer, I've always tried to pursue holiness. And I always seem to fail. It seems like no matter what I do, I can't escape sin and can't get past my own brokenness and the mess in my life. Even in seasons where I am experiencing freedom from some sins, there always seems to be something I need to fix or to get better at. I felt like I was on an endless tightrope of spiritual development that I kept falling off of and of which I can't seem to find an end. Isn't that how we feel? Truly feel if you are trying to pursue God. There's always something that's nagging us. And even if you come right with one thing, there's always another thing that's there that you have to concentrate on. While God's heart is most definitely for our sanctification and holiness, His perspective is far different than that what I've just described. You see, God knows that sanctification doesn't come about through our own efforts. I can in no way sanctify myself because in and of myself I have no holiness. The truth God has for us today is simply this. Sanctification comes about by true relationship with our Heavenly Father alone. It is this relationship that will cause you to get better and to get better and to move closer to God. I say better and better, and I don't think those are the, the, the right words. It's the closer to God that is the right way that we need to be thinking. Psalm 37, 5 and 6 says, Commit your ways to the Lord. Trust in Him and He will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. How awesome is that? Why does it say the noonday? The noonday is when the sun is at its peak and it shines the brightest. When we trust God to bring about our righteousness, by simply committing our ways to Him and trusting in Him, we engage in a process of sanctification founded on encounters with His loving grace. That is sanctification. Constantly, day by day, striving to move closer to God. And then we have glorification, is our hope in God. God will remove us from the presence of sin when we are glorified in union with Him in heaven. When we've passed from the phase of sanctification into glorification. James 1 and 12. Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love Him. Related verses, Re Revelation 2.10 and 1 John 3.2. Beloved, these are the processes that we are going through in our lives. But this brings me to the original idea of this sermon. What is it that I believe? 
So often we ask this question and we revert to all kinds of responses. But as Christians, we need to know what we stand for. Would you know what to answer if somebody asks you specifically, what is it that you believe? See, I've had various seasons in my life, been to different churches for different reasons. And I remember my, my season in the Dutch Reformed Church. And in the Dutch Reformed Church, in every service, they have a geloofsbeleidenis that they recite. And as you know that obviously the Dutch Reformed would be the Afrikaans Church. But they have a geloofsbeleidenis. In other words, what is it that they stand for? What is it that they believe? And this follows the apostolic creed, which obviously comes out of the, the Catholic Church. But they have tweaked it a little bit, and you'll hear later where that tweak comes in. And it goes like this. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of the Father Almighty, whence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, <coughs> Excuse me. a holy unified church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. Now, beloved, each one of these you can have a, a full sermon on. But this is a summary of what we believe in. This is a summary, as you can hear there. Jesus Christ is the center of this whole thing. Him crucified, buried, and risen on the third day. That is where everything changed in the whole history of mankind, in the whole history of the universe. <coughs> Excuse me. That is where it changed. For me, I have a bit of jewelry and uh, it's a cross. And that cross reminds me of exactly what it is. The price that Jesus paid to save me. Because I can't save myself. See, Christ was sinless and pure. Paying that price. The sacrificial lamb. Remember in the Old Testament, the Jews had to bring a, a lamb that had no blemish. Everything needed to be pure, clean, and sacrifice that for the atonement of their sins. For us as Christians, that happened once. When Jesus hung on the cross. And shed his blood. So that you and I can come into relationship with our Heavenly Father again. Because our, previously our sin had separated us from a relationship with God. And what happened when Jesus was crucified? The veil was torn. And the Holy of Holies opened up. Access for each and every one who follows Jesus Christ to come into the Holy of Holies into the presence of God and have communion with God. Isn't that awesome? 
Beloved, and how do I build this relationship? The strength of your relationship is de developed through constant prayer, reading the word, worship, and fellowship. We need to share time with like-minded people that we can be built up. We are not islands that now that I've accepted Jesus Christ, now everything's going to be okay for me. No, we need to gather. First of all, to celebrate what God has done in our lives. And second of all, to encourage each other, exhort each other, stand by each other, grieve together, cry together, <coughs> smile together, and enjoy each other's company. Why? Because we are brothers and sisters. And we've, if we are finding it difficult now, you're going to have a problem in eternity. Because we're all going to be there. So be careful for those that are causing a bit of crop in your life. You need to make right now because you're going to share eternity with them. Beloved, and there must be growth in your life. And the evidence of that is that I'm not the same as I was yesterday. I'm not the same as I was last month. I'm not the same as I was last year. And this is a very important point. If you find yourself in the same place as what you were last year, you need to ask yourself a question. What am I doing? How is my relationship with God? Have I not moved further away from God? Because God will never leave you nor forsake you. He's always there. And believe me, if you implore Him and you come to Him again, He's going to receive you with open arms. So we need to ask the question, have I progressed? Have I moved on? Am I a little bit stronger? Grace compromises the, comprises of the core of the Christian foundation. All of this, all that I've explained to you this morning is through grace. It's through the love of God for His children. Because I've reiterated a few times saying that there's nothing that I can do for my salvation. It was all done for me on the cross through Jesus Christ. And the power of the Holy Spirit that lives within me. And that is called grace. It's God's grace that drove him to send his son as payment for our sins. It's through grace that we enter into the fullness of restored relationship with our good father. It's through grace that we receive forgiveness of our sins. And it's in the simplicity of grace that we are transformed into the very image of our Savior. We are saved by grace, for there's nothing that we can do to save ourselves. But have, but have you given grace to yourself today? See, we can receive grace from God. We can believe that. That God loves us so much. That he sent his son because he loves us. But we give grace to ourselves. Why are we so worried? Why are we fretting? Why are we so concerned about the things of now and less concerned about God's promises? So we need to give ourselves grace also. We need to learn to give ourselves grace. We need to learn to stand on the promises of God. That relationship is of utmost importance. And should be the center of our lives. 
the word teaches us that our time here on earth, we are just sojourners in this world. A brief, a brief period of time. We need to focus our attention on eternity, which we will be spending with God. And build on that treasures that we have to build up for ourselves in eternity. How do we do that? Through our worship. Through our giving. Through our doing. Through our service. Beloved, we don't have an excuse. The church needs many volunteers. There's always a place for you to be able to serve in church. To serve God in church. So often we look at our service and think that... uh, the guys didn't even say thank you for that. And I rejoice in that when I don't get a thank you. Why? Because God sees my service. And He will thank me. That is the attitude that we should have. You see, once we've given ourselves that grace, it leads to peace in our lives. And peace is the fruit of the Spirit. And it's a good measure of your level of your relationship with God. Is how much peace do you have in your life? If you are constantly worrying, constantly keeping your eyes focused on the things of the world, you shouldn't be doing that. You should be standing on the promises of God. And I want to encourage you, when you find yourself, and we all go through periods where it gets a bit tough. This life squeezes us. And I want to encourage you. Get into God's word. Find out what God says about the situation. Speak to God. Lord, I'm going through this tough time. But I know that you are with me. Holy Spirit, strengthen me. Guide me. What decision, what must I do when when I'm encountered with decisions? What's the right decision for me to make? We need to lean on to the power of God with the Holy Spirit that's within us. Another measure, measure the level of your maturity in the kingdom for a Christian is humility. Beloved, we need to become more humble. Just been through a conference where I think that was the the theme that was running through all of the messages that we received. Is humility. One of the biggest virtues that we can have is humility. God sees you and me as holy and blameless. Through His love, we have been totally redeemed, set right before the God whose perspectives and beliefs are true above all. When He says we are redeemed, that truth is now meant to be at the foundation of all we think, believe, and do. You are a child of God, brought into the family by the power and grace of Jesus' sacrifice for you. As believers, we hear we are God's children, but often we don't live our lives in response to that truth and instead live out of the mindset of an orphan still. Children don't worry when they have a good father. They don't worry what they're going to eat, what their position in this world is. They don't worry about those things. Why? Because they know they've got a good father that will take care of them. 
And if that can happen in the physical, how much more will it not happen in the spiritual? Where God has showed His love for you, sending His Son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross to pay for all the wrongs that we have done. How awesome is a message. How awesome is that love. The unconditional love of a parent lays a foundation for them to have secure peace and joy. Talking about the children. I think grandparents too. Especially grandparents. Your God desires the same for you. God wants to lay an unshakable foundation for you based solely on His love for you as a child so that when the storms come, the waves crash over you, you remain strong in your identity. How do you identify yourself? Child of God or person in the world? No, beloved. We are children of Almighty God. Galatians 5, 23 says, But the fruit of the Spirit... Is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And I think you can sum all of these up. One word, humility. Because out of humility flows all of these characteristics. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you that your ways and thoughts are far greater than ours. We thank you that you have a plan to redeem and to make all things new. We thank you that your face is towards the righteous. We thank you that you hear our prayers and know our hearts. We thank you that you reign supreme. We thank you that, you are, that we are more than conquerors through the gift of Christ. We thank you that you are holy and just. Help us not to follow after the voice of the crowds, but to press in close to you, to hear your whispers, to seek after you alone, and your loving kindness endures forever. Amen.